The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Father, thank you for the day you've made. We are so looking forward to this morning uh, as folks get to stand up and really that parent dedication. What a commitment that uh, so many of them have taken on, so many of us have taken on over the years. So thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, for when we mess up, because we will and we have and we will continue to do that. But by your grace, we want it to be less and less uh, as we are sanctified more and more by the work of your Holy Spirit. So thank you for that. Help us now in the things we say. Cause me to say only things that would be helpful to your people. These things I pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. Well, hopefully, if you don't, I think, Phil, you've got some papers there, some extra ones? From last week? Last yes. week, yeah, yep. yeah. So hopefully, if you didn't get one of these, or maybe you still have it, or you just have no clue, um, I'm going to just touch these three points again. And I just went through and kind of highlighted some things that kind of jumped off at me uh, that I found really helpful. <clears throat> uh, most of you guys know, not necessarily everybody, we have four children. They're all raised. They all have, uh, two of them are married. Uh, those two also have children that come here. Uh, we have, so we have our daughter and then three boys. And they, my daughter is what, 30, she'll be going, she's going on 39 next year, or this next month. It's, it's amazing, time goes by so fast. And I remember even years ago in this room right here, when, when Christy and I first started coming, Carolyn, the 39 year old, was a baby in a stroller. And then add on about three, four, five years, of course, a few more kids came. And on, on Mother's Day, Pastor Dale, this is when Phil was still pushing a pedal car, I think, too. I mean, you may not even been born. I don't know. Um, but, uh, Carolyn was born, he was born. Oh, you're right. You would have been. That's right. You're a, you're a little young 75, teenager. yeah. You're a, you're a tween, yeah. Um, but Pastor Dale would always give gifts out, like, for the youngest mom. Right. The mom with the most Those kids. kids yeah. uh, and there was a third one, I thought. I can't remember. But guess who got the reward, the awards every time, Christine. Youngest mom, well, she's 18, 19, or 19 years old. Yeah, come on up. And then one of the most kids in church, and I think we had three at the time. I don't think Corey was necessarily born. Uh, and he's now 30, 29, 29. He's 29. Um, but she would get that award too, and it kind of turned into something pretty funny. Because people would even come up to us and go, you have four kids? Like, we're like, yeah. I mean, they, they just thought that was huge. Well, now it's like, uh, some of them. They're like, four? That's hardly parenting. I mean, you know, that's what it seems like nowadays. But anyway, so that's kind of our background. Uh, that's kind of our background. I was on staff here for a while as the high school pastor overseeing the youth. Some of these guys were, and, and uh, yeah, some of the guys and gals were in the class as well, but, you know, in high school, when I was teaching high school. So that's kind of where I come from. That's where we roll. Uh, but the paper, you have that paper in front of you. If you look at those three points, the very first one, I just want to touch on briefly. I talk fast, so listen quickly. That's all I'll tell you. Uh, little ones are a blessing from the Lord. If you look down on uh, Dan Durini, Dur Duriani, Duriani, is that right, Phil? Yep. I, I pronounced that good. The chief blessings of parenthood seem to lie in giving. And uh, I know, in fact, as I look around, I think every one of you are already parents anyway and you guys know that so I'm not I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here but uh, you feel like you're just giving and giving and giving one of the things I've noticed over the years when uh, when Christy and I kind of look back on different events we went to and things like that I'll remember a lot this is husbands be warned I, I, I remember a lot of events things that we may have went and did with our kids with us 
And then Christine will say, you know, I, I don't remember doing that or whatever. Then she usually follows that up with, well, we were raising babies at the time, so I was busy. And that's a really fair point. It's easy for the guys, for husbands, dads, to get, to get involved with whatever activity you're doing. And moms are just usually toting the babies around. I mean, that's, that, at least back then, that, that was the way it was in a lot of ways. Um, it's the same. What? It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Well, you know what's kind of funny? One of the things I've noticed over the, the years we've been here, like 38 years or so now, is when parents leave, tell me if I'm wrong, wrong Chris, I'll, usually back when we were raising kids, the moms were 99% of the time taking the kids out. It was moms. But now I kind of find moms and dads doing both, taking kids out. They need to be disciplined or whatever. Periodically, I had to take, usually it was... Kevin, <laughs> take him out, out that door, right outside there, wacka, 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 knock it off, and then you go back in and said he was good. Spank, 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 I shouldn't say wacka, wacka. Um, but anyway, so I can see I can see dads being more and more involved, and I would certainly encourage you guys, to, men, to continue to do that. But just bear in mind, something to think about, as, as your life goes by and major events happen, you're going to remember a lot of things, and your wives will not, because they were just busy with kids. So do as much as you can to help relieve them. Uh, it, it's a life of, like he says here, of giving. Bottom of that paragraph, once we are committed to giving first, the blessings can flow. And that really is true. And I, we can testify to that just because of the age of our kids. We have, what, six grandkids. And it really is, it, it, it does become a blessing. And I know from someplace in here, somebody says, uh, talking about raising, how stressful it is raising teenagers. Yeah, it is difficult. But I will warn you, or I will tell you, it does get easier. Uh, it does get easier just getting through those teenage years as they grow up and move out and get up, Lord willing, move out and get into their own families. It does get easier. I have, as a dad, I changed many a diapers. Uh, as a grandfather, not one. Praise the Lord. I was so so thankful for that. And so I so I either grandma can do that or let's find a, a, a parent. We got a stinky kid. I I'm done with the diaper thing. I'm I'm all good. I had my share. Look down at the next paragraph under Martin Luther, about halfway down that it says, parents learn to subordinate their plans, their goals, their happiness and fulfillment to spend themselves for little ones who can give them very little in return. And that is really true. And you guys know this, um, but they start do giving, they, they do give more and more as, as time goes by, especially as they start having their own families and stuff. Um, babies cry more than they smile, and that is true. I remember when we had Carolyn, and she was brand new, I mean, literally a newborn. We're up in a uh, pizza place up in Placerville, up there off Placerville Drive, and Carolyn, doing her normal thing, was crying and screaming. And, you know, here I was, what, 22? I was probably, she was a newborn, so I was like 22. Christine was 19. And, uh, and the lady sitting in a booth, I don't know if you remember this, probably not, because she had her hands full of the baby. Um, but the lady next to us could see my, my, my look of, you know, wanting, just make her quiet, you know, one of those things. And uh, the lady, just on her own, said, you know, enjoy times like these, because they're going to be gone before you know it. And I just went, okay. You know, I didn't know. It's a stranger. I'm 22. I'm a little bit, you know, I wasn't quite as outgoing as I am now. But I, but ironically, I remember her hmm. saying that. Here we are, what, 20, 40 years later. I mean, I remember her telling me that. Number two, so number one, little ones are a blessing from the Lord. Number two, little ones are sinners who need godly direction and uh, gospel grace. If you drop down to the very last text there at 2 Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, kind of his closing as Paul's life is winding up. He recognizes there's some things he needs to get out to Timothy, who's now sitting in Ephesus. 
uh, correct? He's, he's there at this point on 2 Timothy, uh, overseeing the church, a very, <coughs> a, a very ungodly area, Ephesus, if you know a little bit of history on there. Uh, 2 Timothy, second line down, from childhood you have made known, listen to the wording on this, you have made known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation. You notice this isn't a promise that, you know, if you, if you just, if you train them up the way, she, the way they should go when they're old, uh, they won't depart from it. Uh, I've got a little bit different translation for you on that I'll share with you in a minute. But, uh, but Paul was, was commending Timothy saying, your mom and your grandma taught you the scriptures, taught you the way of salvation. Not necessarily that is that, that, that is going to make you saved, but you know that. Um, Holy Scriptures, um, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So parents, and I say this parent because every one of us are parents, train them up in the Scripture. You are ultimately not responsible for their salvation. If you think you are, you have you have. You, you, you are taking the place of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you think that by some magical words you can put words together, that, oh man, this will be it. This will be the thing that I can share with them when they're little that's going to cause them to trust. It won't happen. It won't happen. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. All right, so number two, little ones are sinners who need godly direction and gospel grace. Number three, little ones are important to the Lord and his kingdom. And... I know I'm preaching the choir. That is so true. Look at the bottom of this page, the last on this side, the last sentence. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. I don't know exactly what that means. Does somebody can somebody tell me that he blessed them? Does that mean he just loved them? He just said, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly what was in the Lord's mind when the when the text says, when Mark says that he took them up in his arms and he blessed them. Is that, is that, was it more of a field? Do you know? It, was that like a ceremonial type of blessing? I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to touch on Catholicism anyway. But I, I don't know the answer on that. What I can read between these lines is that he loved them. He loved them. And in fact, as you look at this text, one of the qualifiers for salvation, qualifiers for salvation, is someone who comes as a child. And so we have to go, wait, come as a child. No, that what it means is coming as one who is humble like a child. Humble like a child. That helped. <laughs> I see you trying to get her out, Phil. All right. So we took his arms and blessed him. No, you're good, Phil. Say that. You were good at blocking. You can do an excellent job. All right. Well, if you have your page, turn the page over. Um, I don't want to walk through every one of these texts. Um, because I know you guys know them, you can look them up. But there were a couple of them that I want to just touch on briefly that I found uh, to be most helpful. And again, as I went through this, I kind of personalized for me some of the things that I struggled with, just not being a very patient dad. But I, and I know some of you guys at high school, I, I'm not a very, I was not a very patient person. Um, I just wasn't. I, I could have been more patient. Uh, and I still kind of fight against that in a lot of ways. I like to use the word frustration, but frustration is a very kind word for anger. anger. Yeah, yeah, it's the sin of James three, right? It's a, and four, it's anger. And so I, so even when I want to tell Christy, oh, sometimes that just frustrates. I have to go. Like, Wait a minute, I'm out. Sometimes that makes me angry, and it's not godly anger, and I'm sinning. That's the truth of it. When I want to say frustrated, that's just a kind word for anger. That's that is a sin. All right. So, for when you know, you blow it. And this is me all over again. My sin has, oh, sorry, number seven. My sin has already been forgiven and nailed to the cross. 
Somebody read Colossians 2, 13 through 14, if you have that. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. Somebody just shout it out. Go. Don't be shy. A little louder, I can't hear you. <laughs> they got their hands full with babies. Yeah, oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespass, trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Yeah, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us most of our trespasses. That's not what it says, does it? It says all of our trespasses. We've forgiven all. We can stand before God. I had somebody ask me, you know, um, is that going to, for Christians, when they stand before God at the day of their death, and they're standing before the Lord alive, um, will God say to them, well done, good and faithful servant? And I said, absolutely. Why? Because God looks at his son, he looks at us through the lens of his son and says, well done. So, but we can't stand there and go, oh, oh yeah, oh, well, I did do a pretty good job. I mean, sure, I got a little angry and then, no, it's only because God looks through the lens of his son and sees us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Why is he able to say that? Because our sins have been forgiven. Why? And you guys know this answer. It's the Sunday school. Because of Jesus' work uh, on the cross. That is the reason why we can stand before God. Now, that's not to say we want to uh, be presumptuous. David prayed against that as well. You know, help me with my presumptuous sins. In other words, we can go, well, we can sin. So, or Paul... Uh, Romans 6, we can sin so grace can abound. This is great. Because why? Because we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, well done, good. No, that's not. That's not good at all. We want, to, we want to still be working to be conformed to the image of his son. That is his desire in us. Anything short of that is, is going to be sin. Go. No, I'm kind of reading into this, but if you follow that into verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, mm-hmm. so in a way, as regards to parenting, if we're doing things his way, we're automatically disarmed. Yeah. From being angry, from being frustrated, from yes. being authoritative over them. Yeah. Loving them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That's good. And by the way, some of the things that I sh- may share today, I kind of gear them towards dads because that's who I can relate to, most obviously. So, if, you know, if, if some of my comments will be towards towards dad specifically. All right, drop down to the next section. For when you are, or for when you feel weak, look at number five. He first loved us in our weakness, so we don't have to prove we are strong to earn uh, his love. This is such a great text, and it's been, I don't want to get a lot into this, but I know it's been open for debate uh, about some of these, about this con- concept that we were God's enemy. Because I think, I think that some believers, true, I'm talking about true believers, struggle with this idea that God has and had enemies. Because I think that they think that, well, if God has enemies, we were once his enemies, therefore he must want to kill us and destroy us. And I had to kind of help them think through, wait a minute, just because... If you're on the playground and you go, that kid's my enemy, man, you don't get along with them, right? And when you're a junior high or whatever, you don't necessarily get along with them, but not so with God. God looks at his enemies 
and says, I love them. I love them. His desire, as we know, 1 Timothy 2, is to bring them to salvation. Why? Because he loves them. And so we have to make this connection that says, wait a minute, just because I think of my enemies in a hateful, despiteful, and rah, you know, vengeful way, God is not that way. God still loves. And so um, he first loved us in our weakness. And this is our weakness of when we sin, when we get frustrated or angry, God still loves us. He still forgives us and desires uh, that we love him. So we don't have to prove uh, so we don't have to prove we are strong to earn his love. Um, it, and in our weakness, that's how we come to the cross, right? In our weakness. Um, I was reading about that uh, this morning. I think, it, if, I think I was in Isaiah 53, 56, 54, or someplace. In our weakness. Number six, look at that briefly. It is not until we see our weaknesses that we will praise his strength. And that is really true. Let me get this. Uh, let me read this text for you just briefly. Psalm 118. This is a, man, this is a really good text. Psalm 118, 13. Whoa, I just deleted it. What was it? I didn't tap in the right spot. I can read this if you want. You got it? Go. So verse 13? Yeah, 13 through 15. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. What is somebody that prays this way? And I don't, I don't remember if this is David. I don't remember who wrote this song. But what, what, what is the natural reaction that, of somebody who, who, the person who wrote this down, who, who prayed this way, who, who contemplated God this way? What is that? What is the natural reaction for this this type of person to do? What do they want? What do they want to do? I know it's kind of a vague question. I'll give you the answer to the vague question. Give up. What? Give up. Well, give up. But once they see this through, I was pushed hard. I was pushed hard. This is somebody recounting and looking at the past of maybe a circumstance so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. Right. So this person who wrote this is out of this situation. So what is a natural reaction for this person now to do once he is out of that situation? He wants to praise, give thanks. Give thanks to God. We had the YAG group over here last this last Friday, and I talked about how uh, we need to be thankful. Uh, children of Israel uh, back in the Old Testament were continually not not continually, oftentimes were not very thankful. That was that was one of the rebukes against them. They they wouldn't thanks or give praise to God. So this went on and on for centuries and centuries and centuries with Israel. And far be it that we as believers who have Genesis all the way through Revelation. Far be it for us, because we see the end, we know how the end of the, end of the book goes, um, that we should ever stop giving thanks to God when we look at all the difficulties we've been through. I mean, from Carolyn screaming in a pizza place up there to the thousands of other circumstances we've been involved with with our children over the years, we can look back now and say thank you. Why? Not, I'm, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad that was a difficult situation. No, not at all. That was a difficult situation. It was no bueno. Uh, it was not fun whatsoever. But here's how we grew as a result of that. So we can look at the, at the results and say, thank you, Lord. Now we see why. Before we didn't. Sadly, we should have been saying thank you while we are currently in that process of going through the difficult circumstance. And say thank you. Why? Because at some point, either today, next week, next year, next decade, whenever... 
we will, Lord willing, be out of this, and we know how well this is going to turn out. And how well is it going to turn out? We're going to be more like Christ. So we, we can give thanks in advance for what he's going to do. Now we have to give thanks for what he did. And we really want to be doing both, do we not, as believers? Giving thanks for what he did, giving thanks for where we are, and giving thanks in, for what he is going to do. And that's how this psalmist is, the way I'm reading this is, uh, kind of summarizing the circumstance he was in. Uh, verse 15, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Um, Christine noticed something in me in the last couple of weeks. She said, yeah, you don't really play your guitar too much and sing around the house like you used to. And I just went, oh, yeah, uh, I guess maybe not. And so, you know, it was just a, a, a comment. It wasn't anything like a rebuke or anything, but it made me kind of think. You know what? Maybe I don't. You know, I really need to start doing that more often. I mean, I think I have a pretty decent voice. I can carry a tune. And I used to sing, uh, you know, I'll, we'll go to the grocery store sometimes and I'll start singing or humming or, you know, whatever. Um, I need to do that more often. And I would, I would default and do that more often if that was on my mind, if I were giving thanks in all things. Right? So I would, I would naturally want to default. And for me, it would come out through singing. Uh, you know, not very loudly in the grocery store, but certainly more so at home when nobody's around, just Christine and I are there. So I have to kind of examine my life to see, okay, is it a heart thing? Is it the business of life? What is it that's not causing me to, to do the habits that I once did? Um, uh, jump over to the next side, over the right-hand right side of the page. For when you are discouraged, oh, I should have to read this, and I'm going to read this. This is a great psalm. Hang on, I gotta, I gotta get queued up. Which one? I'm not gonna tell you. Um, look at number, uh, look at number one. Yeah, yeah. Wait on the Lord, and He will strengthen your heart. Um, twenty-seven. By, by the way, chapter twenty-seven of Psalm is a prayer to God for help. So even when you're you're distraught over whatever the circumstance, and you know what, guys, I, I'm just telling you. Um, you know, all four of our kids are, are, are very different from one another. Two of them are kind of alike, and the other two are kind of alike. Um, but they are all still very individual. I remember, uh, not too many, in my mind, it wasn't too many years ago. It could have been 20 years ago now, I suppose. But just saying, Lord, and through tears, give me the wisdom of Solomon. I need that. I need it because I do not know how to handle this situation. I do not know. In fact, the elders at the time were aware of that situation, how difficult it was for me personally. And that was my prayer. I just said, Lord, I don't know how, how to pray for this, but I know I need wisdom, and I need the wisdom of Solomon. Because that guy was pretty sharp, if, you, if you're familiar with the things, circumstances of his life. Didn't always make the best decisions, but he did have a lot of insight into a lot of things. So chapter 27 of Psalm is a prayer to God for help. Listen to 25 verse, Psalm 25, verse 3. It's not in your notes. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. And I want to key in on, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. What does that mean? How do we wait on the Lord? Somebody tell me. What is that? To wait on the Lord, he'll renew your strength, and you shall mount up with wings of eagle. Okay, whoa, whoa, time out. I can do all that, but what do you mean wait on the Lord? How, if I'm a new Christian, I come up to you, Nate, I'm a new believer. What, wait on the Lord, do I have to go, what do I do? What do you mean, wait on the Lord? What does that mean? How would you explain that to somebody? Yeah, I would say that it, it is uh, partly 
uh, trusting in Him, putting your hope in Him, and, and not in the vagaries of your your situation, your circumstance. Good. Um, so trusting, um, and then obedience in. There is a certain aspect of, of literal waiting. That's right. But but so not only trusting in that, but also obedience to do what you know you you know you may not know what God is calling you in a certain aspect of the future, but yeah. you can you can wait for wisdom, you can pray for wisdom, and you can be obedient in what you do know you need to do. Good and and yeah, so be obedient in the things that you do know. Right, I mean, that, I think is what you said. Uh, the servant may not know. <clears throat> Where did I hear this? I don't know what I'm. I think it was a Captain James T. Kirk of the USS Enterprise. He said, "I don't know what I'm supposed to." The great philosopher. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I only know what I can do. And I kind of. I, that's a line in the movie. But I kind of thought, hey, that's pretty good, actually. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know what I can do. So I'm going to go and do something for the Lord. I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But the other things I don't know, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to trust, I'm going to anticipate, and I'm going to hope. Uh, I don't recommend Captain James T. Kirk for philosophy, but that particular line was pretty funny. And it was actually very helpful in many, many ways. So, yeah, so when we're waiting for the Lord, we have hope, we anticipate, we know that God is going to be faithful. No matter what happens, even in our unfaithfulness, that does not make God's faithfulness null and void. It doesn't get rid of God. God is always going to be faithful to us. No matter, no matter our circumstance, no matter if the kids are being a brat, no matter, no matter what, God is going to be faithful. All right, in the last section, for when you are overwhelmed, and uh, you, you guys, since all of you guys are parents, you already know this, at least if you have not been overwhelmed yet, you will, you will. Look at number three. If God's grace was sufficient to fulfill the law through Christ, through Christ then God's grace is sufficient for me today. Uh, listen to John 1, 16 and 17. John 1, 16 and 17. For when his fullness, uh, for, for from his fullness we have received, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that needs to always be our default. That needs to be the place we always go for prayer is say, Lord, Master, Messiah, Savior, Jesus, help me. That's where we need to be heading for the grace upon grace, more and more and more grace. That's because why? Because God loves us and he wants to see us grow and we recognize that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you sent me some. I'm not going to look at it. All right. I'm sure it has something to do with that. Uh, so uh, his sacrifice is what we want to be thinking about. His sacrifice. Uh, number four, just briefly, he will enable you to do what he has called you to do. Whoa. And we read that and go, oh, yep, yep, okay, he'll enable me. Okay, wait a minute. Let's think about that. He has enabled you guys, every one of you, to be parents. Because you guys are all parents at this point. He's enabled you. So if he's enabled you, he's called you to do that. He's given you the tools to do that. To do that successfully, by the way. He's, he's given us the tools to do that. But even despite our tools, we still don't always use those tools correctly. We, those tools, sometimes uh, we misapply them. They don't work right. I mean, I, I've got a construction background, so I know how to you know, take a cat's, cat's paw. You guys know what a cat's paw is? A cat's paw tool. It pulls nails. You take a hammer, cat's paw. Okay. I know how to run, run a, use a cat's paw, sadly, because I put a lot of boards in the wrong spot. But I know how to run work a cat's paw. Someone who doesn't do a lot of construction goes, what is this? It's a cat's paw. We used to do that with it. 
What is that for? They have no clue. But yet God gives us the tools. We have to just be taught how to use the thing. Do I just go along the side of the wood? Or do I sometimes really, if it's a nail gun, dig deep down and grab that nail and pull it out? We have to be taught how to use those tools. We've given all the tools. We have everything that's available through Christ. The tools we've been given, the instructions for those tools lie in this, the, the Bible. This is my iPad. But they lie in the Bible. That's where we need to start applying and learning about those tools. So when we have a kid that's like becoming a monster and acting up, how, how do we handle this? What is, the, what is a good way to handle this? Do I spank him? Or do I give him a stern lecture and see if he'll cry? Do I break? Because the goal is breaking the will without breaking the spirit, right? I want to break the will without breaking the spirit. Uh, my brother passed away years ago. Um, he could look at his four kids and go, Brittany, what are you doing? Bah! They just start crying instantly. If you know them, Brittany, you know what I, that's how she was. Uh, my kids, they'd just go, they'd just glare back. And so it was spank, 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 spank. And then we had to break their will without breaking their spirit. But usually it involved a spanking with our kids, oftentimes. My brother's kids didn't hardly ever have to spank them. Don't ask me why. God blessed them that way. Um, all right. Uh, he'll, he'll, so number four, he will enable you to do what he's called you to do. We have the right equipment. We are equipped correctly. You know, for us to say, God, I don't know if I can handle this. Wait a minute. God promised you. He, he, he put you into that situation. He's given you the right equipment. Don't say, I don't know if I can handle it. You can. You can. Through Christ. And so you have to say, God, I can handle this. I can do this. But I need your help. I, I'm not going to, okay, I'm going to pull myself up my bootstraps and I'll wait. No, it's going to be, God, I need your help. Because you have equipped me correctly for this task. He has equipped you guys for parenting. You guys, my, two of my four kids are not equipped for parenting. Why? They don't have, they're not married, they don't have kids. God has not equipped them as of yet. But should that ever happen, God will equip them. God has equipped you because here you are with children. Uh, the last, or the, number seven, he promises to walk with us in trials and not let us get overwhelmed. Um, oh, i got to read this verse too. Isaiah 43.2. Isaiah 43.2. Come here. Whoa, come back. Somebody got that? Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the waters, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Yeah, and it's going to feel that way. I wrote down in here, it's a hyperbole. You know, it's... I, because you're, obviously we're not walking through physical flames, but it's an extreme circumstance. You know, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking through, they, they literally did walk through fire, as we know. Um, but it's going to sometimes feel like, wow, I am just overwhelmed. Uh, you know, our kids are, they, they vary in range from about 10 years to the oldest, 10 years to the youngest. So 10 year difference between them all. Some of you parents, I mean, some of the kids, moms and dads here, they've got them, you know, every, <laughs> literally about every year apart. Uh, it's like, wow, that is impressive that they're able to do that. Why are they able to do that? Because God's grace. God's grace upon grace in their life. Even though, I have no doubt, sometimes they feel overwhelmed. Or maybe oftentimes they feel overwhelmed. But yet God said, should you walk through fire, I'm going to, you are, I'm not going to, you are equipped to handle this. Even with four kids, 12 kids, I do not, you are equipped to do that. And I don't know, one kid, two kids, one and a half kid, or whatever, somewhere in there. Three, one and a half. three kids, sorry, I don't know how many you have. Three kids, three kids, 
three kids. Eric, you've got how many kids? Two kids. You've got a boatload. I've lost track of yours. You've got three. Right, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got four. God has equipped us for however number we have. His grace upon grace continues to come. So, um, but children can seem like fire at times. I, Any, yes, ma'am. I was just thinking about that equip, he equips us. Um, he also gives us the body. And it's, you know, we have his word, obviously, and we can go to it. But sometimes yeah. we really need other believers to talk to yeah, off. I would say, I would say, oftentimes. Yes. I mean, that's but why. But I don't want to go there first because that's no. our tendency is to yeah. go to other people first. Well, yeah, yeah. Instead of the word, and so. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. We want to be crying out to the Lord, not crying out to our friends. You know, you know what I mean by that. Yes. Like you said, that's the first default. We need, like David cried out to the Lord. We need to cry out to the Lord. Lord, give me the wisdom of Solomon. I had to do that. But then I brought other men around me and said, okay, help me through this situation. Here's a situation. I need, your, I need your, your, your combined wisdom and counsel here, without a doubt. So, yeah, and that's why, you guys, it's become so important um, for, for our attendance at church. I know that's almost cliche, but, you know, it's important you come to church. Well, that's great for me to say that as an elder, but I need to be able to explain to you why that's important. You need to be able to explain to your children why that's important. Not giving them an option when they're 12 years old. Well, I'll let my kids make, my, they make their own decision. No, they're going to decide like the world. You keep that up. That is not good at all. You need to, as moms and dads, you need to train them up in the way they should go. Uh, Jeremiah 17. What's the text? 17. Not, train up a child in the way you should go. Proverbs. Yeah. Oh, Proverbs. Proverbs 22. Yeah. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he, he won't depart from it. The, the, actual, the literal... Translation of that is train up a child. Did I tell you this already? Mm-hmm. Train up a child in the way the twig is bent. The way the twig is bent. And I had a pastor tell me that years ago, and I went, whoa, what does that mean? And he said, Mark, that Proverbs 20, that is not a promise that, well, if you get them to church and you say the right things, they're going to be believers and they're going to be the next Johnny Mac or, you know, Billy Grant. No, that's, that is not a promise. That is a duty for you as parents to train them in the way their natural bend is. Let me cite you an example. If their bend is, hey, my kid's pretty musical. They play the guitar, they play the piano or whatever, they sing. I want to continue, that's their bend. I want to continue to encourage that. Why? Because when they get older, they're going to be sticking with that type of thing. They're going to be musical. My mom and dad taught me and my brother, how to play guitar chords. Neither one of them really played the guitar. My dad actually played, if you guys, some of you knew my dad, he could play a, a G, in fact, I've got him on video playing a G, a C, and a D on my guitar. This was in the last couple of years. I wanted to see if he remembered how to do that. And he would sit there and he'd look at my, my, my phone, he's smiling as he kind of plays. But my dad and my mom taught my brother and I just basically three chords. But, but our bend was towards singing. The guitars were used as the vehicle that helped us sing. That's all they did. And so I'm not a great guitarist. I can play, but I'm not great. But I, I liked, I used my guitar for help singing. That was my bend. My parents, my mom specifically, recognized that. So she always encouraged my brother and I to kind of learn harmonies and maybe sing in unison. So my brother and I did a lot of 1950s doo-wop type music, because that's what my parents knew, a lot of, you know, 
uh, stuff like that, Beach Boys, things like that. My brother and I did that because we, similar voices, we could sound a lot alike. So that was our natural bend was towards music. My parents encouraged that. Find out what your kids' natural bend is and encourage that. Train up a child in the way the twig is bent. And when he's old, he won't depart from that. That is my understanding of that verse. And when I learned that, I thought that through, I thought, that's super helpful because I can drag them to church till you know, 16, 17 years old. I'll go, but I'm just going to sit in the back. Okay, well. But I, I, I knew that I needed to continue to encourage them and train them in the way they should go, not drag them to church. And, and God said, they'll become a Christian. You just keep dragging them. Yes? In an analogy way, would that then mean pruning? Yeah. Like a garden. Yeah. Like you have a natural bend that plant's going to go. Yeah. And you prune it. Yeah, and if you guys do, if you do a lot, little bit of pruning, I have a bunch of fruit trees, and so I prune every year. Um, I have to take these branches that cross over and touch one another and cut that thing off. Um, some of those are really good, and so, you know, in other words, they go in the right direction. They're not, the fruit, the, the, the branch isn't hanging down because it's too weak to hold the apple or the peach or whatever. Um, I have to prune those things back because I say, okay, it's going to go that way. I need to clear a path for that thing. And make it and make it so it goes that way. I want my 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 pear trees to have that cone shape with the inside empty. If you kind of know about pruning trees, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So I have to train that thing to make sure they're going in that direction. That way, next year when it's old, it's not going to depart from that. It's going to keep going that right direction. Mm -hmm. All right, questions or comments? Well, just to add to that, I think yeah. the sometimes there's a bend that that we don't want to encourage. They're bent a certain way, and so we're training based on that. But we're that's right. We're correcting just to yeah. yeah. I, think, I think the presupposition in that you're right, Phil. is right. is, is a good. Is, but there, there's some good things we want to cultivate and encourage, right. and those become habits for life. But also based on how they're bent, we might have to adjust how we're parenting one child to another because they're they have a bent a certain way that we need to yeah. adjust things to correct. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. I think the, the, I, I think the built-in presupposition on that text is supposing that it's not a concerning sin. Train up the child the way he should go. Well, he wants to go and, you know, become a drug dealer and whatever. I'm not going to, oh, let's encourage that. No. I, the presupposition is that it's godly. It's righteousness. That's how we want to encourage and train them up. They have so, marketing yeah. skills. They what? They have marketing skills. So you want to, like, bend them to use that instead yeah. of dealing drugs. Thing. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Everybody yeah, has a gift. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things when I did when I was in the high school, uh, over the high school program here, is I had a lot of parents that would, that would say, you know, as their kids started entering into high school, they would say, hey, I want to become a leader. And my first question was always, why? Why do you want to become a leader? Well, because my kid's coming in. And I was, uh, I was always, uh, honestly, a little uh, hesitant to bring a parent in because, you know, they're, they're helicopter, right? And so I was a little bit hesitant. Some of them worked. Some of them did not. The ones I usually kind of had to really watch for is the people, is the volunteers that said, hey, I want to work with high school. Why? Well, I want to teach. What do you want to teach? You know, you have to ask that question. Well, God told me that I should blah, 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 and fill in the blank and go, okay, whoa, wait a minute. Woo, Christian mysticism. God told me, well, as soon as God tells me, I'll be the first to let you know when you can start. I mean, I don't say that, but, but honestly, that's how you kind of feel because I'm not feeling that God's telling me that. So that's kind of hard to argue with. So I have to say, well, let's just be praying about it and see what happens. And, and usually, I mean, literally, I think 10 times out of 10, they, they didn't, they, they weren't doing what they wanted to do. The best kind of servant, doula slave that, that we can ever do is uh, the way Pastor Dale explained it to me years ago. And I was in, I think, 
25, 26 years old. And he's, I said, he said, hey, we want you to come on staff and be the high school director. Well, I said, okay, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what exactly I'm supposed to do. And he said, you do whatever needs to be done. And I said, uh, like, if the, okay, how about like the trash? Because the trash would go out on Sunday nights after dinner. And he said, well, Mark, the trash is full, go take the trash out. And I went, okay. And I was like, hey, that's a pretty simple job. You do whatever needs to be done. Don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know what I can do, right? Here we go again. So I would take out the trash. I mean, that's just the way it rolled. I didn't always take out the trash, but that's the kind of servant slave, doulos, that God desires in us is to be that type. Not one that says, well, I'll serve, but only in the following areas. That's not how God calls us. That's not what a slave would ever say. All right. Questions, comments? You got all the right tools. I think one of the things with Proverbs in general is to keep in mind those are uh, general statements that are generally true, but they're not guaranteed. That's right. Proverbs 22.6. The, the context of Proverbs in general is not is not guaranteed. And so, I agree. You know, it, it may talk about um, how you ought to act and, and what the results will be. And if you live in a, in a just society, then that's going to be the way it goes most of the time. But yeah. Yeah, it's not. There's no guarantees. So. Yeah, I feel that way about Proverbs 31. Don't even get me started on that text. Because a lot of ladies know that, right? It's the godly woman. I need to be like that. No, you don't. Because that woman, that woman, my, Mark's opinion, that, that woman was characterized by, by the king's mother as, I think, I, this is what I think, a hyperbole of his issues that he was dealing with in life. Because how does she start off? What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? It's not for kings to drink it and, and have bad judgment. This is um, my words, not hers. What are you doing? Consider a, 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 consider a, a wife, what she does. Look at what, and I think he, she was laying out for her son a, a, a hyperbole of a wife that is way beyond what a wife could ever possibly do uh, to teach him of the benefits of stop doing what you're doing, get yourself a wife, and start leading your people well. That's Mark's summation of Proverbs 31. And I always focus in on the back, right, Christine? The very last, vast couple of verses. Christine, I've said this to her many times. She knows it's coming. Many women have done excellent, but you surpassed them all. No offense. But you surpassed them all. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my summation of Proverbs 31. I always hesitate to share that because I've never heard any theologian say, that's no, almost like the same thing. I've never heard that, but just a hunch. Go. Just one question going back to Simon Cunningham. Yeah. Focusing in on uh, provoking. Focusing on what? Provoking. Provoking your children to anger. Right. Yeah. And so something that at least reminded me of, I think after she came here and saw that, which is infinitely smart about it anyway, um, is that it speaks to fathers uh, specifically because we have a tendency to be provoking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the way that we're built. Yeah, I brought that up last week. That's how I, that's how I read that too, quite honestly. I mean, I've, honestly, I have never, ever seen my wife provoke any of our children to anger. I've never seen it. I haven't. And believe me, I recognize it when I see it because I'm the guy that's guilty of doing that on, on, on way too many occasions. It's, it just seems like it's always the dad. And I, I think it's connected to pride and to, well, to pride. And uh, I'm going to be in charge and this is, I'm laying down the law. I mean, that's just, it's just our, it's our egos. I say our being men's egos. Not that women don't have egos, but I'm just saying that's a, a husband's and father's tendency 
is to, I'm laying down the law. When you get home, your father's going to spend, you know, that goes back 60 years. But you get my point on that. Anyway, so yeah, that's you. I agree. What's that? She reminds me. Yeah, I think that's a great warning as well. Be, be sensitive, men, husbands, dads, be sensitive to that. Yeah, that you don't provoke your children to anger. If there's a moment where there's like that frustration, there's that frustration. Anger. It's in there somewhere. That's right. That's right. You're still stopping and be like, "Hey, remember." Yeah, remember. And it, yeah, I think it went back to what you said earlier. Now is that you know, uh, train your child to not break in their spirit. Yeah. And if you provoke the anger, that's in my mind breaking the spirit. Yeah. Breaking the will without crushing the spirit. I think that's how it was originally framed. It's some book I read, I don't know, 40 years ago or whatever. And I've been guilty of doing that. Bro- broke their, I think I broke their will, but I crushed their spirit. I'm talking about our kids. Probably some high school students along the way, too. Lisa, did I ever do that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Is that you? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let me pray. Uh, any other comments or questions? Anything? Phil, you probably want to make a couple of closing things. Let me pray, and then sure. you can make some statements. Uh, you got to give them some direction with the plans this morning. Father, thank you just uh, for parents. You are, you are the example of father. You're it. And it's to you and your word to which we look to which we rely upon, to which we rest upon when we get angry, I almost said frustrated, when we get angry at our kids for doing things that kids do. Why? Because they need a loving father. And so, Father, help us to be an example of a loving, heavenly father to them. That's, that's all they see. We can't see you, but they see us. So, Father, help us to be the loving, patient Father as you are to us. These things I pray in your Son's name. Amen.